It was awesome. But there was a spiritual revival in the midst of a counterculture movement. And I really want to see a spiritual revival taking place now because there is a revolution today going on in this country. There is a cultural, and it's happening fast. And it's not good what I'm seeing going on in the culture. In the, in the nations around us, it's not good. But it, in the midst of that, I want to see a spiritual revival take place. But going back to the 60s and thinking about how that spiritual revival and the cultural um, upheaval that was going on at the time, it affected everything. It affected everybody's theology, whether you believed in God or not. Remember, in the 60s, God is dead. Remember that theology that was going around? God is dead. It affected that. It affected the, the denominations, the traditional denominations, the things that were going on in the culture. It affected our music. It affected academia. And you know what? We're today, because you know that, that back in the 60s, and it was about 60, 1963, 1964, the free speech movement, it started because I grew up in California. It started at the University of California, Berkeley. Anybody remember a guy named Mario Savio? Nobody remembers him. He was this, you know, kind of bearded guy, kind of wild-eyed guy, and he'd stand up in the middle of UC Berkeley proclaiming free speech. And it's so interesting because today, the revolution that's going on today is they want to do away with all kinds of free speech. Limit speech kind of come full circle. But in the midst of all that was going on in the 60s with, the, with race relations, with um, the Vietnam War, um, with, with, with the things that are going on in the Jesus People movement, these hippies are getting saved. Yeah. Hippies were getting saved and because they were searching for truth. And you see, whenever there's cultural and social upheaval, people will be searching for real truth because everything else seems to fail them. And so they're going to be looking for truth. And so all these hippies were getting saved and they're looking for truth and they're finding it in the scriptures. They were searching for the meaning of life and they were searching for acceptance. And I really believe we're on the cusp we're on the, the cusp edge of another kind of revival that's going to be taking place. Instead of hippies coming into our bodies, our communities, we're going to see all kinds of lost people who have no real uh, understanding of, they don't really have any biblical understanding. They're going to be coming from all kinds of places, and they're going to be coming looking for truth. My question to us is, are we going to be ready to receive them in our midst? Here they come. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Verse 1. In the, begin, the beginning of the good news, the Besorah, in the the beginning of the good news of Yeshua HaMashiach ben Elohim, as Isaiah the prophet has written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai and make his paths straight. 
And that message that Mark had 2,000 years ago is the message that the Lord wants to get out today. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his ways, make his paths straight. I believe that's where we're at today. But you had all these hippies that were getting saved back in the 60s. And the church wasn't ready for them. They would go into churches and they would not be allowed in because they were wearing jeans and sandals. If they had any clothes on at all sometimes. The church wasn't ready for them. And yet they were searching for truth. They were needing love. They were needing mentoring. They were needing fathering. They were needing family. They were needing deliverance too because many of them were coming out of the drug scene. And out of the occult. And the church didn't know how to receive them in and properly, properly disciple them. They needed restoration. And it's interesting because you look back, and this was 40, 50 years ago, and these are many of our senior leaders today, those hippies that were not being accepted. And now they're being challenged as how do we accept the people that are going to be coming off the streets into our midst today? See, there needs to be a new wineskin for discipling people. And we're all involved in discipleship. All of us are involved in, in, in coming alongside, encouraging, mentoring, discipling others. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the elder's job. It's all of our responsibilities. See, and when these people come in, they need to be included as family. And some of them are going to need to be reparented refathered because they didn't really have a good father image. They're going to be coming to us with no biblical foundation. Their worldview is going to be skewed. And you know what? We're going to even be offended by their lifestyle. Some of us are going to be offended by their lifestyle. And they'll be grumbling and complaining. Thank you, Lori, for that word today. I remember several years ago when was at, the, um, at another church, and, and a transgender came in. And she was part of this Bible study that I was leading. And um, it was obvious she was a transgender. And she actually asked to, to meet with me, and we met several times. And she was so hungry. It was a man, became a woman, went through everything. But she was so hungry, and she's very, and was a very miserable person. Uh, not not miserable in the sense of of um, you know mean or anything like that. She just was a very wounded wounded person, and but she was look at, looking for love and acceptance, and looking for truth, and those are the types of folks that are going to be coming into our midst. My question is, are we ready for that? Because it's going to be happening. Want to reflect back on what we shared last week and Yeshua when he was with his disciples at up in um, Caesarea Philippi. No, um, Caesarea Philippi. Yeah, with the gates of hell. Matthew sixteen verse eighteen. He says, "And I also tell you that you are Peter, Kipha." And upon this rock, or this confession, 
I will build my community and the gates of Sheol, the gates of hell, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Speaking to Peter, but also speaking to us, speaking about the church, the ecclesia, the bride. I will build my church. And, and I will give you, it says, I will give you the keys, the king of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will have forbidden, will have been forbidden in heaven, and what you permit on earth will have been permitted in heaven. What a responsibility we have. What an authority we have as the bride, as the ecclesia. What we see in heaven, we can call down into earth. What we, what we forbid, what we want to forbid here on earth, we can call that down. You see, the goal of Yeshua's incarnation the goal of him coming in the flesh and blood and being on earth was his to see a glorious church, to build the foundations of a glorious church. He is the cornerstone of that. And his disciples, and they didn't know it at the time. They didn't realize it. They didn't, they didn't understand it totally at the time. His Talmudim were, when he was talking to them, shortly after that, he was talking to them and he said, you know, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be killed in Jerusalem. They're going to come after me. And they were grieved. And they, you know, Peter even said, no, this is not going to happen. I won't let this happen. But he said, you know what? You may be grieved right now, but it's for your good that I leave. It's for your good that I depart. For your good that I go through this. They didn't understand it, but they did. See, they needed to know, and they were soon to be witnesses of his death in Jerusalem. He came to take the sins of the world upon himself, to become that pure and tried, precious cornerstone. And then he was resurrected from the dead. That blew them away. But then over the next 40 days, he was with them, taught them, ate with them, spent time with them, laughed, cried together with them, sharing more about the kingdom. And then the resurrection, they went up to Galilee and he ascended to the Father. And he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise. And then a few days later, the Spirit comes down. The Ruach HaKodesh comes down upon them. And the disciples are transformed. And the body of Messiah becomes his temple. And this is the incredible thing. They didn't understand it when Yeshua was talking to them up at Caesarea Philippi. But now they're beginning to understand them that, that wow, we are the body of Messiah. We are his temple. This is the temple of him here on earth. The fullness of Yeshua is the hope of his glory in us. We are his body and he fills and is in all. Fills all is in, uh, as, and is in all. I'm having a hard time with my words today. But that his desire for his bride is that we would be in such perfect union, intimacy with Yeshua, that we become an extension into the world, all of us, individually but also corporately, to be an extension of him in a dark, dark world. You see, you carry his spirit. You carry his life. You carry his testimony. So wherever you go, he goes with you. And I love the scripture, Galatians 2, verse 20. I am 
crucified with Messiah, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Messiah lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by grace, by faith in the Son of God who saved me. He is in me. We carry him to the rest of the world. And so that's what I want to talk about today. We talk about revival, but I want to see us go farther than that. I want us to see us make a change in this world. I want to talk about the presence of Yeshua, progressing from, I love his visitation. He visited us in our worship today. It was powerful. He's visited us at times, and you just sense there's a change in the atmosphere. But I want us to go from visitation to an understanding and a walking inhabitation where we understand he dwells in us all the time, 24-7. And he desires to just do so much more than we are actually doing now. Fifteen years ago, the Lord gave me a job description even before I came to Denver, even before I even had a dream of Or Chaim being here. He said, create a place for my presence. Create a place for my presence. That's what I want us to do. All of us are to create a place for his presence. And you know, it's interesting. There's not really a Hebrew word for presence. But if you look, you say it's Shekhinah. Or Shekinah. The Shekinah is this divine presence. But there's another word that's even more powerful. Panim. The face of God is actually his presence. So when we speak the ironic blessing, you know, that his face would shine upon us, that his countenance would, we're talking about his very presence being upon us. When Moses said, unless your Panim goes with me. Your presence goes with me. I don't want to go anywhere. God says, okay, my presence will go with you. Do we really understand the presence is not just a feeling of him being there, but it's actually his face reflecting upon us and that when we go out into the world, his face reflects from us and to other people. We're an extension of who he is to the world. Do we live that way? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. See, God is preparing us to be his presence in the world. I love his special visitation, his special presence when we come together and we worship him. But wherever I go, I carry his presence his face is upon me, and as his face is upon me, I'm reflecting that to the world. It's like when Moses went into the tent of meeting. He's in the face of God. He comes out, and his, and his face is shining, and they couldn't look at him because of his, the glow on his face. But all of us, maybe we can't see the glow on each other's face physically, but his glow, his presence is in us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and foreigners. First of all, who is Paul writing to in the, in the letter in the Ephesians? Who is he writing to? The Goyim, the Gentiles. Okay? Ephesus happens to be in present-day Turkey. He's writing to the Gentiles. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. But you are fellow citizens with God's people. Hallelujah. And Members of God's household, not only are you allowed to come in, but you are also part of the family. You have been built on the foundation made up of the emissaries. 
the apostles, and the prophets, with Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. So what we were talking about in the last few weeks, he is the cornerstone, and we're all living stones being built upon that cornerstone of Yeshua. That's the bride. That's the ecclesia. That's the church. In him, and I love those two words, in him. 95 times in the New Testament, it says, in him, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into God's dwelling place in the Ruach, in the spirit. We are a place of his dwelling. He inhabits us. We are a habitation for his spirit in us. So wherever he goes, wherever I go, he goes with me. If we lived like that, we would be living in a different world, I believe. His presence, believe it or not, is more important than my sermons. Everybody said, amen. His presence are more important than my sermons or anybody else's sermons. Do we need those? Yes, we need the teachings. We need that. We need the proclaiming of his word. We need to encounter him personally and corporately. We need to encounter his presence personally and corporately. And that's what we have been encouraging you over the last year is to spend time... Linger a little bit longer in his presence, in your personal prayer closet, in those times when it's just you and the Lord crying out to him. Spend that time, and then when we come together corporately, we encounter him corporately. See, revival is when we, we're not just reading about other people's encounters. I love to read other people's stories of how they came to know the Lord, but I tell you what, we need our own encounters. Yes, we're encouraged by other people's encounters, but we need to have our own encounters with his presence. And see, I believe this is, and I've, and I've witnessed this over the last couple of years as several of us have gone out on the streets and done different things. We bring his presence on the streets in healing, miracles, words of knowledge. How many of you have felt led to just go up to somebody and just enter into a conversation or maybe pray for them and you've seen things happen? We were even, you know, after the, the Israel rally, we went out to, to dinner with the Ehrensteins. And uh, we were in this, in a restaurant, Mexican restaurant, and um, on the 16th Street Mall. And the waiter, you know, we had our Israel shirts, and he starts talking to us. Open doors, and so we just started talking to him about what's going on in Israel. We asked him how his life is. We asked if we could pray for him. His name was Alex. If you remember, pray for Alex, young guy, hungry for things of the Lord. And so it was just, it was just kind of a natural thing, wasn't it, Billy? It was just fun talking with this gentleman. He kept coming back to us and hanging with us. And then we're talking to him, and he gets down on his knee. He's a waiter. He's supposed to be working, and we're just talking to him, praying with him. And he's sharing things and, and gave him the whole history of the Middle East. I don't think he was expecting that. I gave him that instead of a tip. No, I wouldn't do that. That would be mean. I wouldn't do that. But what I'm saying is that I think God wants to, to, to 
have us be going out as his presence to be praying for people, to see things happen, words of knowledge. I remember many times we've gone out in Tel Aviv and we're like the Lord showed us a person in our minds before we went out. And so we're out looking for this person who's dressed a certain way, who looks a certain way. And God wants us to go up and speak to him. Treasure hunting, it's called. We've done that before. And that is a lot more effective than debating and arguing with somebody. I found that out. You know, and if you have an opportunity to share your testimony, see, nobody can argue or debate your testimony. Oh, Lord, give us the boldness to do more. You see, his house, and we're his spiritual house, being built up, is bonded together by his spirit, by his ruach, and love. And love covers a multitude of sins. And it's also bonded in mutual honor, mutual honor, where we honor one another as a brother, as a sister. Mutual responsibility where we're all saying, God, what is my part to play in this? See, that's what the body is all about. It may be, you know what? I need somebody to go pick up my dry cleaning. And guess what you're just doing at that point? You're just being faithful. Okay, God, I'm a dry cleaner picker-upper today. That's my role. How many of you just had some mundane thing, and all of a sudden you're talking with somebody about things of the Lord? Be available to him because his presence is in you, and his presence will lead you to somebody who needs to hear about him. It's not about you as much as it is about him. You see, this is when revival begins. And I believe that we have to have the revival before we can change this culture. Revival is, like I said before, it's about the body of Messiah coming alive again. Coming alive again. It's not so much for the world, but as the body of Messiah comes alive again, the world will see, wow, there's something going on there. This person, Yeshua, is being lifted up there. And wow, look at, they're walking in incredible unity. I've never seen that before. And things start happening. Isaiah chapter 63, at the end of verse 19, it says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. This is Isaiah's cry. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. See, that's revival is when the mountains quake at his presence. At his face. When his face shows, things are going to happen. As fire kindles brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, make your name known to your foes so that the nations may tremble before you when you did awesome things that we were not expecting. You see, that's part of the whole thing with revival is we're crying out, oh God, let your presence, your face just come and do, shake the mountains, do this, let your foes would see this and and then show us something that we're not expecting. You see, we all come with expectations of what God is going to do. And then when he does something that you weren't expected, your first reaction may be, that's not God. Hello? When you did 
awesome things that we were not expecting. You came down. The mountains shook at your presence. The mountains shook at your face. That's a picture, a biblical picture of what revival looks like. Duncan Campbell from the Welsh Revival in the early 1900s, he said, revival is when God steps down from heaven into our midst. Mountain shaking. Amen. It's like a spiritual weather system. I've been involved in, in a typhoon before because it was in Asia. And it's just like this weather system stalls over an area. And there's lightning and deluge of rain. That's what the presence, that's the presence of God that we're going to, I want to see in the natural, in the, in the spiritual. Changes the atmosphere, changes everything. Like I said, he comes to make alive again. Revival is more for us than it is for the world. And I say this because, you know, if you look in the book of Revelation and the letters to the seven churches, and I've been to the seven churches, and it's interesting. How many have ever been to the seven churches of Revelation? They're all in what's current day Turkey, and there's not one actual church that meets in those places. Most of them are just ruins. There are believers in the land, but very... This is interesting. In all of Turkey, and this is where a lot of the, the churches that Paul established were in, the, in what's present-day Turkey, 68, 000, uh, 68 to 70 million people living in Turkey, 2,000 believers. And this is where... Okay, but five of the seven churches... In the book of Revelation, were rebuked and told to repent because they didn't really understand the presence of the Lord. In Ephesus, they lost their first love. In Pergamon, there's false teaching that was leading to sexual immorality. They took their focus off the Lord and they allowed these false things to come in. And Theatira. They tolerated Jezebel, the teachings of Jezebel. Sardis, they had a reputation of being alive, but Yeshua said, you're in fact spiritually dead. He said that. The Laodicea, they were lukewarm. They weren't hot. They weren't cold, being spewed out of his mouth. But his loving letters said, but repent, repent. There's hope. This is what the Lord wants to say now. And Wendy and, and Mary, if you're going to come up. It's time to prepare the way for the Lord. We've been talking over the last several weeks about God cleansing us of the things of the past. Cleansing us personally of things that we've tolerated, we've led into our lives. whether it be mindsets or, or besetting sins or strongholds in our minds. We've allowed the enemy to run roughshod and, and lie to us, and then we fall for the lies. And, and God is saying, and this is what the purpose of us coming together is, is when we sing his praises, we sing about his goodness, we sing about his faithfulness. With The more we do that, it becomes part of our lifestyle. And that we don't want to do things that are going to distract from his presence. Prepare the way 
of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to read these verses starting in verse 14. And I want you to listen to these words. You can even close your eyes. You can read them up there or you can close your eyes and just listen to these words starting in verse 10 or verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul writing this. From him every family in heaven and on earth receives its name. Every family receives its name from him. I pray that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with the power through his ruach so that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me read that again. So that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to grasp with all the kiddushim what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Messiah which surpasses knowledge so that so you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Verse 17, so that Messiah may dwell in our hearts. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's he writing to? He's writing to believers. That all God already dwells in them. and He's already saved them. And he's already sealed them in the Ruach HaKodesh. But he's praying that he would dwell in them even more. You see, in Ephesians 1.1, it says, the Kedoshim in Ephesus, those trusting in Messiah, that shows me they were already believers. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by, the grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. You see, they were already saved. Chapter 1, verse 30 says, when, they, when you put your trust in him, you were sealed with the promised Ruach HaKodesh. In other words, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. But there was something else that God is saying, I want, there's more, there's more. He prays that, Miss, that Messiah would dwell in a people already he indwells. The question I asked earlier, are we at Orchaim prepared for his face to be manifested his presence to be manifested in this place? Are we prepared for when we're on the streets and the Lord puts it on our heart, little nudge saying, I want you to go talk to that person over there. And that fear wells up. No, I don't, I'm not an evangelist. I, I don't have anything to share, but it's not about you. It's about his presence being upon you and in you. He habits, he inhabits you. Or do we expect that it's going to look a certain way when his presence shows up? And that's where we're going to need discernment between his presence because also there are counterfeit. There are counterfeits that come. And I'm not saying just receive anything in here. That's why God puts leaders, elders 
and gives us the gift of discernment so that we know what's from him and what is not from him. These things that are going to be happening in here. You see, we need revival to prepare for the harvest that's going to be coming. And I, by faith, know there is a harvest that's going to be coming. It's going to be coming soon into our midst. Then there's going to be a revolution. But I think instead of a bunch of hippies leading a revolution or the anti-war protesters or this side or that side, it's going to be the bride of Messiah who leads a last day's revolution that's going to bring a harvest. Yes, there's going to be an increase in evil. There's going to be a, a revival of evil, but there's also going to be a revival in the body of Messiah in the last days as we reflect his glory to a dying and dark world, but a world that is hungry to know truth. And you know what? We are the ones to bring that truth, that knowledge of truth. But you see, we're not going to be able to build God's house with human wisdom or traditions. I love our messianic traditions, and I have, you know, they're good. They're they're full of, of, of life. And But we need to make sure that we're not building his house on human traditions just because it's something we've always done in the past. Or human wisdom, well, we did it this way back then, and so we'll deal with that way now. No, we need to be careful how we build God's house in these days. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Again, just listen to these words. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another builds on it. But let each consider carefully how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what is already laid, which is Yeshua the Messiah. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire and the fire itself will test each other's each one's work what sort it is if anyone's work built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer loss he himself will be saved but as through fire verse 16 don't you know that you are God's temple See, we sometimes we will read this verse out. Of, we won't read the verses before it. It says, you are God's temple. That, and that the Ruach Elohim dwells among you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God would destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I love what, just stand with me. I love what. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, God of Elijah, hear our cry. Send the fire to make us fit to live or die. Send the fire today to burn up every trace of sin, to bring the light and glory in. The revolution now begin. Send the fire today. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why he wants to get rid of all the clutter, 
all the distractions, all the stuff that stops the, his glory being shown out from us. That's what this season has been about. That's what this season has been about. So as we close today, I just feel like it's a day of decision. How many of you feel like you need that fire today to revive things that have been dead inside? How many of you feel like you need that fire to come down? You're willing to have that fire come down and cleanse you. Amen. And when I say that the fire I want, we desire to have that fire, I'm not talking about a counterfeit. I'm not talking about a false fire to come down. I'm talking about the true fire of God to come and to, to burn up all the stuff that needs to be burned up, all the dross, so that all that remind, remains is that purified, that purified hope and faith that we have in Yeshua. I'm not talking about strange fire at all. Let this fire come and burn up every sin, every bit of compromise, every bit of human tradition that has replaced his rhema word. Father, in the name of Yeshua, come. Holy Spirit, come. Reveal our hearts, Lord God. But when you reveal your, our hearts, it's, it's not condemnation. It's in a loving way saying, this area right here, I love you too much to keep you, to, for you to keep walking in that way. And so today, Lord, we give you that area of our heart that we've closed off to you. Lord, we give that to you. And Lord, come and cleanse. Take your proper place. Inhabit this temple, Lord God. And I pray that for each of us, that you would inhabit, inhabit these temples. Lord, that we would be ready to show your glory. Lord, that not only to show your glory, but that your glory would just exude out of us, Lord God that we can't help but share with other people. Lord, this is a day when I believe hearts are open. It may seem like a day of closeness, that a lot of hearts are closed, but there are open hearts. And Father, I pray that you would bring folks to us and, and that your glory would live through us and, and your face would shine through us as we reflect you to them. Whether we're praying for them for healing or just sharing a word of encouragement or opening a door or just whatever we are in a restaurant, Lord God, that our words would be seasoned with kingdom words to bring life in these days, every one of us. And Father, that each of us would embrace this season of change. And Lord, let your fire revive our hearts. Lord, let your fire revive our hearts. Lord, let your fire revive our hearts. Lord, we need your presence. We need your presence, Lord. We need to be conscious of your presence more and more and more, even as we see the day approaching. Hallelujah. Let's just take some time and lift our hands to heaven and just worship him. Let's just worship him and and say, Lord, I just desire more of you. Your face, your presence, your panim.